Listener Production. Across Instagram, YouTube and TikTok, AJ Clementine has almost 2 million followers. And when you meet her, you realise why. She's captivating with these soulful eyes, careful and considered way of speaking, and she's got a voice like honey. AJ is warm, funny and thoughtful. Hi everyone, welcome back to my channel. She began her transition at the age of 16 and at 18 was formally diagnosed with gender dysphoria. At 22, AJ underwent gender reassignment surgery after spending 18 months on a wait list. We got an hour until surgery. Dang, this is real. Her new book, Girl Transcending, is the story of a woman finding her way in the world with promise and with purpose. It shines a light on AJ's path to self-acceptance and hopefully does the same for her many readers and fans. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. The Weekend List is on its way where Tate McGregor will join me to tell you what to watch, see, listen, read and do. But first, here is my conversation with AJ Clementine. AJ Clementine, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. I am so thrilled to have you. Can you begin by introducing yourself? Because I always think it is interesting to hear how someone describes themselves rather than how we describe you. Yeah, of course. I'm AJ Clementine. I'm an LGBTQI plus advocate, a digital creator and now author. And yeah. (laughs) I love that you lead with advocate because it says straight away, how invested you are in other people and in your community and in making sure that we achieve social justice for everyone, not just some individuals. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were like as a kid? So I was a pretty creative, imaginative kind of kid. I always like lived in my own little world that would like create. And I feel like I still kind of have that essence today, but I was very naive and believed lots of different kinds of things on how I viewed the world and there's lots of different situations that kind of pulled me out of that little imaginative world I created as a kid into being like okay this is the real world and there's some things that I'm gonna have to like take into my own hands and try and figure out but most of it I just feel like when I look back it's just lots of fun and joy and happiness. Thankfully, I had such an accepting family and I could do whatever I wanted. I could express myself in any kind of way. And yeah, it just led me to feeling safe. And I guess it was more so the battle of when I brought what I did at home to the real world is when it started to crumble and make me question what I was doing and all these other kind of things like that. Having a safe childhood is is something that every kid deserves, but so many don't have. I'm so glad that you did have that. Talk to me about this naivety of yours, because I think about kids and I kind of think all kids are naive to an extent, right? But how did your naivety play out? And can you tell me a little bit more about that sense of being someone at home and having to be someone else for the rest of the world? Yeah, I guess it literally came from the fact that like, I felt like I was just going to develop and go through puberty as all the other girls, all my friends at the time, I didn't know what puberty was, but I just assumed that something was going to make me go in the same direction. And I didn't know what it was, but I kept to my 
like dreams and just everything that I thought was going to just make sense at the end of the day didn't. And I guess around like the ages of 10 to 11 was when I started to realize I wasn't actually developing and the world wasn't seeing me in the way that I thought that I would just eventually change to be. And as a kid, I didn't know what or how to achieve that. I didn't know how I could tell the world that, hey, I'm actually a girl without people thinking I'm crazy as a kid. Were you treated badly for that kind of behavior? Because I think for kids now, maybe I just like to think for kids now that the world's a little bit more evolved and a little bit more accepting and chucking out those stupid outdated gender norms that mean girls have to behave one way and boys have to behave another but you're pretty young but still it was a while ago that you were a kid Mm -hmm. so did you get pushback from other people? I feel like yeah I do agree that's much better now but back then I questioned a lot of what I did because of the questions I would get from other kids like when my mum would paint my nails for Christmas or Halloween, do like festive kind of things. And I just thought that was normal and was something that we bonded over and she just let me do whatever like made me happy. So when I would bring that to school, there'd be some questions, but kids weren't overly like disgusted by it. They weren't like, they weren't cruel or mean about it. They would just ask questions and be like, oh, why are you doing that? And I would just be like, oh, because I wanted to. My mom says, okay. So I didn't really care too much about that. But I guess when it started to take the form of like adults doing it and questioning it, I kind of realized that the, that's when the world was different to my eyes because teachers would ask why I don't hang out with the other boys or if that's kind of something that I should be doing or try and force that upon me and do little things that they think that they were trying to help with my development, but was kind of making me feel like I was some sort of a freak. And schools are quite binary, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that happens at schools that doesn't happen to adults where, you know, kids get separated and the girls are doing this today and the boys are doing this and we're going to do a, I don't know, girls versus boys volleyball today or whatever it might mean. It's one of those things that just reminds kids that they're expected to be one thing and to behave a certain way. Tell me about your self-expression and your gender expression when you were younger and how that's changed over time and the role that kind of fashion and beauty has played in that? Yeah, I guess as a kid, it was just in the form of dressing up. And like I said, like my mom was really a huge support in that kind of instance. Like she let me dress up and use her makeup and do whatever I wanted to do in terms of what made me happy. But I guess as time went on and I hit like my teen years, it kind of shifted in the sense of like I, I realized that if I was doing that kind of stuff, people are going to keep questioning it. And I didn't know what trans was and my parents didn't know what trans was either. Um, I guess they had their own kind of perception of what it is from what they were told in their generation. So I was kind of scared in that instance. I didn't want to be like the person just dressing up in a costume. So I just kind of conformed and as my teen years went on, it just felt like that wasn't true to myself. So I started to take more care of my appearance. I started to eat healthy and I started to just introduce makeup slowly into like my routine going to school. I'd wear like mascara. I would just like put on a tinted moisturizer and I slowly started to drift into buying from 
the women's section in clothes stores and stuff like that. And from there, I just slowly introduced it into my wardrobe. And from doing that, it started to make people question. People didn't know how to refer to me. And I was dying to pass more as a girl than I did as a boy, which I preferred, but I wasn't out as trans. So it was kind of like a stepping stone to me. And it confused people, which I also didn't like. I just wanted to be seen as a girl, but obviously I wasn't like on hormones yet. I was still going through male puberty. So all I could really do was just self-express myself through makeup and fashion. And that's where I kind of felt my comfort. Yeah. Can I ask about what puberty was like, particularly the kind of latter end of puberty? It must have been incredibly confronting yeah, I guess it was, yeah, it's one of the most daunting and strange things I've ever been through because I guess, yeah, it's, it's literally, yeah, strange to be a woman and go through male puberty and experience all of those changes, which your body is literally trying to fight against. Yeah. And I guess when I actually figured out around like 15, 16, that there was people that did transition and there was trans people out there. I knew that that was something that I needed to do in ASAP, but it was already like within my puberty. I was already halfway through my puberty and um, there was no way to get hormones at the time unless you went to family court. So I was afraid to ask that for my parents and go through that whole process. So I just kind of waited out and was like, you know what, I'll just wait until I'm 18 and then see what happens. But if I could go back, I would just, shake myself and be like, no, 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 like don't wait it out because like, you know, puberty is ongoing and every single year is like vital. So tell us about turning 18 and what you could do at 18 that you couldn't do before then. Um, so once I turned 18, the process was literally just to go and tell a doctor, which who was also across it because obviously not every doctor is going to know what you're talking about. So I went to an LGBTQI plus doctor and they just put me straight on the routine on which to get HRT, which is hormones for hormone replacement therapy. And yeah, I just started from that point onwards. What was that process like? Cause I'm someone who, so my pituitary gland doesn't work. So I don't make any hormones of any kind. So I take a whole bunch of hormones to replace everything because there's nothing there. And I know for a fact that hormone therapy can mess you around at a mental and emotional level as well, because it's a real shift in your body, but it's also a shift in your, in your brain. I'm trying to, I suppose what I'm trying to understand was how you balanced the effects of that medication, which you wanted with the effects of the medication, which are really difficult. I guess because it's such a gradual um, situation where it's kind of introduced into your body in a way that's like, you don't go straight into it. It's kind of like you start off with a few, like one pill and then your body kind of gets used to it in a way it starts to mimic and function just like any other um, woman's hormone levels are functioning. And essentially it was literally like a second puberty as well. So it was being 18 and going through doing it again doing it again becoming an adult officially well I didn't really feel like an adult but still it's like you come out of puberty and having to go do it all again I was like new emotions new feelings everything was just different I like I saw the world in a different way and it 
it felt a sense of peace each month going forward. But yeah, it wasn't like it was an easier process. It was just like, it was essential. Yeah. What were the people around you like at that time? Were your family, your friends, the people you love supportive and they're with you or did you did you have to cut some loose? <laughs> um, I guess it was just a confusing time for yeah, everyone in my life. Um, my parents were, like they did understand it, but they weren't fully educated as they are now, but they were just so confused on like how and what that means um, and like how it is different to like a drag queen or like dressing up in that kind of sense. And I was like, I had to explain to them, I wasn't dressing up anymore. Like I'm not a kid and I'm not just wearing my mom's clothes and putting on her makeup. It's, this is literally who I am. And this is what I was supposed to be from the get go. You start making content online and for social media. We're all doing that, right? Like I'm doing that. My mate's doing that. My teenage neighbor is doing that across the street, but we don't have the following that you do. So what do you think it is about your content creation that touches people in a way that it just doesn't for everyone else? I was on YouTube for like many years. I started in high school and Mm. I mostly just made like little fashion lookbooks and nothing about my personal life. And then when I did start my transition, I kind of felt it was something that I could share just in the sense of I couldn't see anyone else doing it. There was no one else talking about their trans experience. And the only places I could really find something positive was in like forums and stuff like that. The media wasn't talking about it. So I just thought I would start making YouTube videos and no one was really watching them. There was probably like just a few people it would like reach. And I guess from that and learning how to put myself in that kind of narrative and making those YouTube videos like led me to kind of recreating that story and what I told in those YouTube videos and those long form um, videos to TikTok. And that's where it kind of shifted and changed because it started to reach people. So I guess that just kind of worked in my favor where it was like, I already knew the story I was telling. I knew the narrative. I knew myself at that point. And I was just telling it in a different kind of way. I think there's something about the way you present on on TikTok especially. You're just so authentic is the most disgustingly overused word in social media. Yeah, at the same time, feeling like someone is genuinely themselves and thrilled to be who they are and they're not so changeable for the audience is just so deeply appealing. I it doesn't surprise me that that audience has amassed for you. Tell me about moving into writing and creating a book. Um, I guess that's something that was always on my mind. And when the opportunity was presented to me, I was like, hell yes. I have always kind of recollected little moments in my life that obviously I've told in TikToks and I've kind of recreated them or acted them out. But a book, I could actually dive into them and explain my feelings and everything that revolves around each pivotal moment in my life. And it's, it's kind of like a guide, but also a biography as well. So yeah, it's just kind of 
inspired by just what I've navigated and just putting that into a book just felt, yeah, so freeing. Yeah. There's been so much coverage in the news over the last five or six years of how schools are supporting LGBTIQ plus kids and particularly about programs in some Victorian schools that are called safe schools that are all about kids being accepting of one another and recognising that difference is a good thing, not something to be scared of. Mm -hmm. But at a political level, it's been tossed around like a football and there's been some pretty awful stuff said. If there are people listening right now who have trans kids in their lives, what would you say to them about being supportive and how they can make life just a little bit easier for those kids? I guess it's literally just to try to put yourself in their shoes. It's we live in a world where we're changing or adapting and we're actually moving to more positive and actually accepting kind of places. And there's, you know, there's so much more positive stuff out there about translated stuff than there was when I was a kid when I was a teen. But then again, there is, like you said, like the fact that so back and forth in the debates in terms of politics creates that tension and a kid or a teen shouldn't be really scared or worried about that. So I guess it's the best way you can literally help your child or someone that you know is just to, I guess, focus on making them know that their transition isn't everything. It's not every single part of their life and there's life beyond their transition and just making little kind of tweaks in the ways that you address them or you spend time with them and just ask them what they want to feel in terms of what makes them feel more validated in the masculine way or in a feminine way, because it's always those little details, just like my mom, like painting my nails as a kid, that just makes you feel valid. It sounds like your mom is a pretty incredible person. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. AJ, thank you so much for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thanks for having me. That's it for my conversation with AJ Clementine. Her book, Girl Transcending, is going to be available in all good bookstores and online at Booktopia. And if you're a queer person for whom this conversation maybe brought up some questions or some concerns, you can always call Q Life on 1800 184 527. Don't go away. Coming up next is Tate McGregor with The Weekend List. Tate McGregor, welcome to the studio. I am so over lockdown, my friend. I'm so bored. I need something to do. Please tell me you can help. Of course I can help. I have got a podcast that I was first put on to by Linda Mariano on her podcast, Brooke and Linda's Dream Club. It's by Q Code, a company I've mentioned in the past for their podcast, Soft Voice, and they do these really immersive soundscape dramas. This one's called Electric Easy, and I think you're going to love it, Jam, because it's executively produced and stars Kesha. That's right, the singer behind that TikTok song. They describe this series as a musical neo-noir science fiction show and it's set in a futuristic Los Angeles where humans live alongside AI robots and this is particularly about a forbidden love story with a runaway robot and the human who's trying to hunt her. Emptiness. 
Vertigo sets in. Withdrawal. I run. Wait, what are you doing? Where are you? So if you want to get an immersive soundscape, you know, you can go on your walks and listen to this one and feel like you're still watching a movie. And Kesha sings in it, so you'll get some original Kesha tracks throughout. Who doesn't want that? It sounds completely off the wall, Tate, but I am up for anything right now because uh, the lockdown lack of things to do has really set in at my place, which is why just the other day, I thought about going back to making sourdough and then I stopped myself and I reminded myself that that was stupid and time consuming and altogether too difficult and above my skill level. And instead, Tate, I found Irish soda bread. So this week I am recommending that you all start making Irish soda bread. The reason that this is my recommendation is it's really quick. It's really easy. It doesn't require a starter and it doesn't require yeast. Basically, all of the sort of yeasty, like making it rise bit comes from baking soda and buttermilk. It is absolutely delicious. You can put all sorts of like little bits in it. I made one with currants and orange peel the other day. It was delicious. Highly recommend it. And we all need a lot of carbs right now. Yum. And Jam, you also have a watch recommendation, don't you? I do. So I've just finished Little Fires Everywhere, which of course is based on the book by Celeste Ng. It's available at the moment on Amazon Prime. The new original series is starring Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. I know about your little secret. Are you threatening me? This has won all the awards and gotten all the focus. Basically, it's set in a placid, progressive suburb in Cleveland where everything is kind of as it should be, right? And then there's a character called Elena Richardson, played by Witherspoon, who always plays by the rules. She does everything right. She's the mum of four kids. And then Mia Warren, who is played by Kerry Washington, arrives. She's an artist. She's a single mum. She's a black woman. She is everything that Elena is not. She arrives with her teenage daughter, Pearl, and rents a house from Elena. From there, the story becomes more and more complicated. It draws in more and more people from the town. Secrets are revealed. The nature of art and identity and motherhood are explored. And let's just say we get pushed towards the dark and the criminal and the intense. And I found this absolutely riveting. Could not put the book down and binge that series really hard. Wow, what a big cast for a big book. I'll have to check it out. That's all we've got time for today on The Weekend List. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate your company. If you'd like to make sure you never miss an episode of The Briefing or The Weekend Briefing, then you should follow or subscribe. You can do that in the Listener app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a lovely little review that will help other people to find the briefing. That's all we've got for this week. We will be back in your podcast feeds bright and early Monday morning. See you then. Listener.